Well, I'm not sure if I should make a confession or an apology or what I should call it, but I had left the hint that we're going to be looking at the subject of music tonight. And of course, Brother George uh, tailored his devotional to that subject. And of course, he couldn't know that the preacher was feeling that God led him a little different direction. So I apologize for that. Maybe it's inexperience. I maybe shouldn't have mentioned what I was planning to speak about tonight. But I just, I couldn't get peace with the subject of music. It seemed like God was leading us a different direction. Um, And the title for the message tonight is The Aroma of a One Accord Congregation. I just, after being here for a few days and, and sensing what is in front of you as a congregation in the coming week. Um, it just seemed like God was saying, Dennis, you need to preach this message. So that's what I plan to do. The aroma of a one accord congregation. Rose Valley is a tranquil valley situated in central Bulgaria. It's just south of the Balkan Mountains. It's a lush, aromatic valley that spans around 95 kilometers in length. It's about 10 to 12 kilometers in width. And the climate and the soil conditions make this valley a perfect place to grow roses. I would love to visit that valley sometime when it's in full bloom. Rose farmers and their families start picking roses at about 4 o'clock in the morning until about 10 o'clock. Rose uh, petal picking usually begins in early May and ends in late June. And the reason that they start picking roses at that time of day is that's when the oil content in the rose petals is at its, at its highest or at its peak. The rose petals are taken to the distillery where they're dumped into vats and they're boiled for a number of hours. Four tons of petals yields about one kilogram of precious rose oil. Bulgaria's annual production is approximately two tons. Bulgarian rose oil is one of the finest oils, one of the finest rose oils in the world. Perfume and cosmetic producers from all over the world purchase it to scent their products. One kg of oil costs about $9,400. So it sounds like it's a good cash crop to get into. One Japanese perfume company imports rose oil for making edible capsules. Japanese people are very concerned about their body odor. They swallow a capsule of rose oil, and about a week later, they smell like roses. And even their pillows supposedly smell like roses. Well, I'm sure that Rose Valley is a beautiful place to see, and I'm sure that rose oil is a very becoming scent, but this evening it'll do nothing to beautify your spiritual being, and there's only one rose that can do that, and that's the rose of Sharon, the rose of Sharon. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ is in the midst of a person's heart, And in the midst of their life, there will be a beautiful aroma there. And when there is a group of people that have 
Jesus and His Spirit in their midst, it'll be like a beautiful valley of roses. The world will take notice, and the beauty of Christ will be displayed through His people. And there will be a scent there that the world cannot ignore. You know, it's so important that Christ is at the center of our lives individually so he can be at the center of our congregation collectively. A congregation's collective oneness and unity is only as real as our individual unity and harmony with the Lord Jesus. You know, 90% of this congregation could be taking rose oil capsules. But if we bring a dead fish here and set him in the middle... I can assure you, that's what you would smell. That would be the permeating odor. The success of God working in our midst is in direct proportion of Him living within each one of us. I'd like to, for a text tonight, turn to Matthew chapter 18. We just want to pull a couple of verses from this chapter, and then we want to spend the rest of our sermon in the book of Acts. Matthew chapter 18, I'd like to read verses 19 and 20. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done of my Father, for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now it's interesting that this verse is placed right in the middle of a chapter where Jesus gives us teaching how to deal with personal offenses within our individual and collective relationships. Because those offenses do come. And how we solve them makes a difference as to what kind of aroma comes from our congregation. Jesus tells us he's in the midst of a group of people that are gathered together in his name. He's in the center of those who have bowed their knees and their wills to his will. He's in the midst of those whose lives revolve around his word and his church and his plans and his values. And when this is the reality within the lives of each personal member, it'll produce the unity of the Spirit. And Christ's blessing will be on the congregation. The aroma of a one accord congregation. You'll notice here, we have the word agree in verse 19. And this word agree means to be in harmony. It doesn't mean that we always agree on all the little details of life. But when it comes to the principles of God's word, and when it comes to following the will of Christ, We are in harmony. We are in agreement. You all know what a piano sounds like. If there's one key that is out of tune, you can play a beautiful song, but every time you hit that key, it just throws the whole song out of tune. Now, for the rest of this message, I'd I'd like to um, use this drawing, this illustration that we have here on the board. And just look at how a one accord congregation is both produced and preserved. How it's both produced and preserved. And to do that, I'm going to begin with 
our middle petal. This is supposed to look like a stencil rose till we're all said and done. And the place right here in the middle at the center of that rose belongs to Christ. Jesus said, "Where I, when I am in the midst, in the midst, that's where he wants to be, in the center. If Jesus is somewhere out here, if he's somewhere over there, if he's not in the midst, there will not be a beautiful aroma coming from our lives or from the congregation that we're part of. Principles that produce and preserve a one-accord congregation. Let's turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. You know, where there's pride, where there's politics, where there's personal agendas, Christ will remove his presence and blessing because his name is not associated with those kinds of things. But where he is in the center... A one accord will be, a harmony will be preserved. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and the first point we want to look at is that of prayer and supplication. If you notice here, verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So we put our second panel on here. That is prayer. That wraps right around Christ. That is our communion, our communication with Christ. Prayer and supplication. Now, if you notice the context that this verse is in, it's preceding the first ordination recorded in the New Testament church. And they got together and they had a prayer meeting. This group was a mixed gender group, including Jesus and his disciples, the women that followed him and his family. They were all assembled in one accord praying. Now, I don't know what their prayer list looked like. Did they divide into groups like we do today? It seemed like they were all in one big group there praying. Their Jesus had vanished up into the clouds They had witnessed His power. They had witnessed His resurrection. Their love for their Lord united them. Their passion to serve Him motivated them. The old dispensation lay behind them, and the new dispensation stretched out before them. And there was much work that needed to be done. They needed structure. They needed leadership. The church of Jesus Christ needed to be built. This was at the beginning. This was at the foundation. And collective prayer was key. It was a key foundational ingredient that preceded the formation of the first New Testament church, and it's also a key foundational ingredient that must be part of every New Testament church today. No prayer prepares us to accept the will of God. Prayer empowers us to accomplish the work of God. Jesus taught in what we know as the Lord's Prayer to pray. He said, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And any time that there's any kind of desire within any of us to have it any other way, we run into trouble. 
When we pray, it collect, when we pray collectively, it unites our hearts to accept and embrace the will of God. You know, so often our wills are opposed to God's will. And united prayer pulls our hearts together and toward God. You know, God works on the behalf of a people when they, with one accord, unite their hearts to seek His will. I have a little writing here I'd like to read to you. It's called the Obituary of Mrs. Prayer Meeting. Mrs. Prayer Meeting died recently at the first neglected church on Worldly Avenue. Born many years ago in the midst of great revivals, she was a strong, healthy child, fed largely on testimony and Bible study, soon growing into worldwide prominence and one of the most influential members of the famous church family. For the past several years, Sister Prayer Meeting has been failing in health, gradually wasting away until rendered helpless by stiffness of knees, coldness of heart, inactivity and weakness of purpose and willpower. At the last, she was but a shadow of her former happy self. Her last whispered words were inquiries concerning the strange absence of her loved ones, now busy at work and places of amusements. Experts, including Dr. Works and Dr. Reformer, disagreed as to the cause of her fatal illness. Administrating large doses of organization and socials and contests and drives, but to no avail. A post-mortem showed that a deficiency of spiritual food, coupled with the lack of faith, heartfelt religion, and general support, were contributing causes. Only a few were present at her death, sobbing over memories of her past beauty and power. In honor of her going, the church doors will be closed on Wednesday nights, save the third Wednesday night of each month when the Ladies' Pink Lemonade Society serves refreshments to the men's baseball team. I trust that that obituary will never be the obituary of this congregation. A one accord congregation is preserved where the presence of Christ's spirit presides. Where the presence of Christ's spirit presides. And that's the second petal on our rose. You think that the Holy Spirit of God will come and dwell and rest and be poured out upon a congregation, upon a people, upon a life that is not living in holiness? You know, these these followers, these disciples of Jesus, they were gathered together with one common purpose and goal and passion. And that was their love for the Lord Jesus. And their desire to glorify Him and His name and to build His kingdom. This wasn't something they were building for their own glory. This was about Jesus, their beloved Jesus. That's why they were together. You know, had there been disunity and a desire to be the greatest, had there been this spirit of competition or campaigning, it would not have been an environment that the Holy Spirit would have been comfortable to pour His presence upon. Dairy farmers know how devastating stray voltage is. 
it will cause milk production to drop. You know, if a cow puts her nose into the water bowl and she gets a shock, she's not going to drink water. And if a cow, if a milk cow doesn't drink water, you know what happens? She soon dries up. And if the cow dries up, there's a whole bunch more things that dry up on the dairy farm just real, real fast. You know, when there is stray voltage, the spirit of the world or the spirit of self, like pride or undercurrents of selfish agendas, the spirit, the presence of Christ will leave. He will not be involved in anything of the sorts. You notice here, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's read verses 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, with, they were all with one accord. We have the words one accord here again. In one place. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And, they, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not just a few, not just some of them, all of them. Dear brothers and sisters, it's imperative that all of us are empty of self-will so the Holy Spirit can fill us with His presence. Are you willing to lay down your will, your preference for God's will, for his plan, for your life, for your family's life, for the good of this congregation? If so, the fragrance that comes from this place will be beautiful. Number three, a one-accord congregation is both produced and preserved where there is practical brotherhood. Practical brotherhood. We'll just flip the page back to Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 46. Practical brotherhood. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 46. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily, you notice here it is again, with one accord in the temple and in breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, This verse is probably one that our Hutterite friends would use to stake their claim on communal living. And I'm sure that we could learn some valuable tips from them. But I have picked up enough to know that even communal living doesn't eliminate stray voltage. It just doesn't. The unselfish sharing of each other's possessions... Here was the result of the unity of God's Spirit at work in their hearts and lives. And I just seen some practical brotherhood today, and it blessed me. One of the brothers was over at Eric's uh, place today. I think he was there all day 
running the little excavator, doing some backfilling. And my heart was blessed to see that because that is practical brotherhood. That is what builds brotherhood. And the Lord Jesus is honored when he sees that taking place in our congregations. The unselfish sharing of each other's possessions was the, was the result of the unity of God's Spirit at work in each heart. You know, and their, their concern for their brothers and sisters' need was stronger than their love for their own assets or their own antiques or their own property or their own possessions. This evening, brotherhood needs to be practical. Our heritage is built on practical brotherhood. And I'm glad it is because that is scriptural. Let's preserve it, because how we share our temporal possessions is an indicator of our spiritual life. I think we need to be careful about judging the level of perceived materialism in our brothers. And we've got to look at our own hearts, and we've got to ask ourselves, am I giving back to God what He's given to me? That's the question we need to ask. You know, sometimes we can get pretty caught up in, in, in looking at how materialistic our brother is. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be accountability in such things, but let's make sure that our life is in order when it comes to that. Um, one of the things I've noticed in my short life is that, you know, something that can be really important to me maybe isn't so important to my brother, and something that's really important to him might not be so important to me. I'm saying, let's start at our own front door first. 1 John 3, verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Friends, tonight, spiritual brotherhood is always physically practical. And the fragrance that, sh- that comes from a, a brotherhood that is, is sharing with one another is highly attractive to the world. You know, a brotherhood is a good place to invest. It really is. And the more you put in, the more you get back. That is what produces sustainable brotherhoods. Brotherhoods are torn down when our expectations are to get more out than what we want to put in. God chose the church. God chose his bride to display the beauty of his character. And generosity unselfishness is one of the beautiful characteristics of Jesus Christ, and he wants to use his body to show that to the world. All right, a one-accord congregation is preserved and produced when they persist, pull together, persevere in spite of persecution. Acts chapter 4, verse 21 to 24 and verse 29. They persevere in spite of persecution. Acts chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. 
And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God. And there we have it again with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now down to verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. This congregation here in Acts was facing opposition. Peter and John were experiencing persecution. The Jewish leaders felt threatened by the power and the popularity that the apostles were demonstrating in the healing of the lame man and in their refusal to renounce Jesus. That was at the root of the persecution. Satan is still trying to hinder and stop the church today. However, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan is not using hard artillery like imprisonment or martyrdom against the church in North America, but he's using soft artillery, soft tactics to seek to undermine the unity of the Spirit and hinder the church. You know, he, he uses compromise. He makes standing for practical principles look intolerant and ridiculous and out of date. I, I believe the church should be up to date in how it relates to the world and the situations around it, of course. But the Bible is never out of date. The Bible's always up to date. It always gives us practical advice and a practical way through the, the sea of things that we need to relate to in society. It's never out of date. But Satan promotes diversity and democracy as popular and effective methods of maintaining unity. When instead, these methods can be about every man just doing what is right in their own eyes and undermining church authority. Satan has invented clever names for sin, suggesting that it's more of a disorder or blaming others, avoiding responsibility. He softens conviction and conscience by promoting entertainment-based programs rather than solid teaching that produces repentance. He likes to purport the idea that truth is cold. Well, yes, the truth must be spoken in love, but truth is not cold. Truth is powerful. It changes hearts. Satan is persecuting, oppressing, tormenting, intimidating the church today. You know, just as terrorists plant sleeper cells in free countries. That's what Satan is attempting to do in the church. Sometimes we hear this thing about the deep state, which is a shadow, supposedly a shadow government that operates behind a duly elected government. My question to us tonight, is there ever deep state cells within the church? Is there ever? If there is... It will undermine the unity of the Spirit and God's and the Spirit's willingness to bless a congregation. You know, we must stand and band and join hands together and not allow Satan to have an inch of ground. I'm thankful that Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
And I believe as the church of Jesus, we should be more than in just a defensive position where we just defend our little patch of ground, but we should be in an offensive position where we take ground from the kingdom of this world. That's God's will for his people. Number five, a one-accord congregation will be produced and preserved when they purge sin. Acts chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. When they purge sin. You know, it's important that wounds are purged before they're dressed. Let's, let's read Acts 5, verse 11 and 12 here first. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. You know, healing cannot happen if there is dirt in a wound. In fact, it causes infection, and infection brings death. You know, what would have happened here in this church if Peter had not confronted the sin of Ananias and Sapphira? I believe that the power and presence of God's Spirit would have left. I believe it would have. What happened when Achan hid that hardware and software In the hole under his tent, 36 of his brothers lost their lives in the battle for Ai. The question for you, for myself today is, do I want to be responsible for spiritual death within my brotherhood because there's sin hidden in my life? It's a serious question we'd ask. You know, sin produces deadness in a congregation Sin can be like the carrion or the corpse flower. I don't know if you ever heard of the carrion flower or not, but the carrion flower emits an aroma that smells like decomposing, rotting flesh. It literally stinks like a dead monkey. And this smell attracts flies and beetles that like to feast on dead meat. But I found it interesting that bees and butterflies will not come near the carrion flower. They don't like the smell of it. I guess they're too beautiful to get close to something so smelly. The carrion flower looks beautiful from a distance, but its its odor is terrible. It stinks terrible bad. You know, that's how it is with our lives. We can put on a good front. We can look good, just like Ananias and Sapphira did. But God knows, God knows whether the exterior face matches the interior grace. For the unity of God's Spirit to be poured out upon a a congregation, each life must be purged from sin. And then the beauty of the Spirit can rest upon us and bless our efforts. All right, number six, a one-accord congregation is preserved and prepared for God's Spirit to work in their midst when they have parameters that protect. Parameters that protect. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verses 25 to 31. Parameters that protect. 
Now, of course, you'll notice this wasn't the first petal we put on. This one is at the outside of the rose. But it's important that we talk about it. There's people that don't like to talk about this one, but the scripture does. Acts chapter 15, verses 25 to 31. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, sent, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which, when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Now, a perimeter is simply a boundary. Donald Trump wanted to build a wall to keep illegal immigrants out of the USA. I don't think the wall ever got finished. Here in Acts chapter 15, there was disunity, there was discord, there was disruption in the church because there was a disagreement regarding application. Now, we're not always going to agree on everything. And that's why we need agreements. <laughs> you know, things got tense. Things got turbulent. But the brethren here were able to come to an agreement and a proposal to reestablish peace. And the one accord was maintained. And that's wonderful. They agreed on some perimeters to pr protect. And those perimeters produced unity. Now, had they not had these parameters in place, I believe that the one accord would have become an attack zone and things would have flown apart. You know, our enemy tries to purport the idea that boundaries and parameters tear down unity. He promotes the lie that there's unity in diversity. And of course, we're not all made the same. And I'm glad we're not. I'm glad for each brother and sister that is part of our congregation. I'm glad they're not all like me. And we come from different backgrounds. We come from different perspectives. And that's good. That can be a strength if we're all willing to lay down our preferences and find a way together. But as soon as it has to be my way or the highway, that's when we run into trouble. You know, fire is good, but it needs boundaries. If you would go home and build a fire in the middle of your living room, it would be destructive. But if you go home and you put a fire inside a steel box in the center of your living room, it's going to bring warmth, and it's going to make it an enjoyable place to be. And I believe it's the same way in our churches. When we have parameters that protect, when there's practical um, issues that we come to an agreement on and we're willing to support. Oh, I would have liked to see it this way or I would have liked to see it that way, but for the sake of unity and togetherness, we're willing to lay down and find a way together. God's Spirit will bless that because it produces peace. It produces real peace. 
What is more important to you, your opinion or the harmony of the brotherhood? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. All right, on one accord, congregation is preserved when each person seeks to personify Jesus Christ. When each person seeks to personify Jesus Christ. We're going to have to go out of Acts now and back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like to read verses 2 to 5. I'm just going to put this pedal up here. This is the last one. Perhaps it's the most important one, other than Christ being in the center. Let's read. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now when you personify someone, you, you represent them, you imitate them. You seek to be an example of how they would act. Some people like to personify Elvis Presley. They get a, a joy out of that. Other people try to personify, personify some other celebrity. But the only way that we can personify Jesus Christ is to have his mind and his spirit in control of our mind and our spirit. It's really not that complicated. And when that is a reality in each person's life, then there will be one accord. And the Lord will bless and lead and provide for his church, for his people. There will be a beautiful aroma that will flow from this congregation. It will not be the stench of the carrion flower. Rather, it will be an attractive, refreshing, and beautiful aroma like the rose. May we all commit ourselves to be like Jesus, to have an attitude of humility, embracing the actions and spirit of a servant, willingly giving our lives as a living sacrifice, and as you corporately do this as a brotherhood, you will experience God's blessing. And the words of Psalm 90, verse 16 and 17 will be a reality in this congregation. It says this, Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. The question for all of us tonight is, is my life contributing to the harmony of this brotherhood? Or is there a sin or a spirit that is tearing it down and making it stink? Do you want to be responsible for disunity, destruction, or death in your brotherhood? Are you contributing to discord or one accord? And only each of us can answer that question in the quietness of our 
own hearts. I don't believe we're going to give an invitation tonight. We're going to let God and his spirit speak to you, speak to our hearts. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, we come to you at the close of this message tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's always up to date in every culture, in every era, and even here in 2023, Lord. It has the answers that we need for life. Lord, I pray for this congregation. Lord, as they go forth and this community, I pray that the beautiful aroma of the Lord Jesus would go from this place, Lord, and that your kingdom could be built here in Creston. Bless them in the coming week, Lord, as they have an ordination here. I pray that each will would be in submission to your will. Lord, keep us as we go from here and bring us back safely again tomorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.